Lord, uh, we pray that you would lead, you would teach, we would listen. Let your spirit guide and direct in all ways and all things. And Lord, as we learn about prayer, help us to be people of prayer. In your name, amen. Just a quick review of what we're doing here. We finished up our study in the book of Matthew. And we left off with Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Talk about this is what Jesus asked us to do as a church and as individuals. We've been asking these three questions. What does this look like for me as an individual? What does this look like for my family? And what does this look like for us as a church? Now, Jesus has the authority to do that. Hence, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, he says, this is how I want you to live your life. So what we've been doing now is not doing a verse-by-verse study through Acts, but going through Acts and showing examples of the church actually doing this. The first one we talked about two weeks ago, going. What does it look like to go, to go do something? Not let your calendar, not let your commitments dictate your life, but letting the Lord dictate your life. Next, making disciples. What does that look like? We talked about the Greek word that means you get involved in their life. They get involved in your life. It's not just seeing them for 15, 20 minutes or an hour on a Sunday, but to really stop and say, I want to see you grow and go deeper, and I want to grow deeper with you, and we're going to live life in front of each other. The honesty and reality of that. And then last week we talked about baptism. We talked about teaching. And we left off with this. If you want to turn there, you can. But it's in Acts 2.42, and we use this example here in the book of Acts of the church doing this. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And we talked about what those things are there, continuing in the teaching, the fellowship of communion and also meals, breaking of bread, and then in prayer. So what we're doing is taking these examples now and looking in the book of Acts and say, what does this look like? We can teach on it. We can talk about it. But how do we take these concepts and really apply them to our lives and all I would say and do? So now we're going to talk about prayer. Acts chapter 6, please. Prayer. Prayer is difficult to teach on because prayer in its simplest form is just talking to God. So when you come to teaching on prayer, prayer is just that, talking to God. But prayer is also just as much listening to what God has to say in return. A lot of us can get the talking down part, but can we get the listening part of prayer in there as well? My boys got these walkie-talkies that they like. And you know how the walkie-talkie works. You hold down the button, you get to talk to the other person. Well, when the little boys have the walkie-talkie, guess what they do? They never take their thumb off the button. And they just keep talking and talking and talking. It's not as much fun to the older boys, is it? Sometimes that's the way it is with prayer. I just keep talking and talking and talking. I'm done. Well, it was good talking to you, God. See you later. Goodbye. Where's the time of sitting and listening through the word, through the spirit, through the worship of what the Lord may have to say back? So prayer is simply talking to God, but it's as much as listening as also talking. Why else do we struggle with prayer? It's that time commitment. To really stop and say, Lord, I'm going to commit this time to you. We are so busy in life. I ran across this quote from Martin Luther that I'm going to share a couple of times this morning. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Boy, isn't that true? I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Can you imagine that? Let's say you have one of the biggest days you could ever imagine. 
You've got to be somewhere very early in the morning. It's going to keep you busy all day. It's going to take you late at night. So what would we normally do? We would normally say this, okay, Lord, it's such a big day. Um, I try to find some time during the day to really sneak away with you if I can during lunch or during break. But, Lord, when I get home, I'm just going to really spend time with you. What we're basically saying is this, Lord, I'm so arrogant and prideful, I don't need you. I can do my day. Now, when I run into a problem, I'll come back to you, Lord. But that's what we're really saying when we start the day off on our own. And then when we run into our first pothole, okay, Lord, now I need to talk to you. What we're basically telling God is, I'm fine until I run into an issue. And what the Lord is constantly telling us from Genesis to Revelation is you can't do this on your own. Book of James says that you're a vapor. Who are you to plan anything? Who am I to plan anything? And this concept of stopping and starting the day with, Lord, I do have these commitments today. I have these responsibilities at work at home. But, Lord, ultimately, you are the one leading and guiding me in all ways and all things. And I want to start my day off with truly seeking you. This is this concept that's presented through the entire Bible. Psalms has numerous references. You can write them down if you want. Psalm 55, 17, that the psalmist says that morning, noon, and evening, I will cry out to you. Psalm 88, 13, in the morning, I will cry out to you. My favorite one is Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and I will look up. I'm going to start my morning off with you. Jesus set the example in Mark chapter 1 that he get rose up. The Bible says early in the morning, went away to a deserted place, and he prayed. He set that example for us. And I just want to encourage you to set aside that time to say, Lord, I really want to give these things over to you. And we'll talk more detail about that later. Don't become legalistic about it, but let it become a pattern and a habit. See, a lot of times we look at something and we say, well, I don't want it to be legalistic. There are certain things we do that we are borderline legalistic, but we do it for the right reasons. I had a pastor teach on this one time that I heard. He talked about brushing his teeth. He goes, I'm legalistic about it. Every morning I get up, and what do I do? I brush my teeth. It makes me feel better. It makes other people feel better about me. There's a nicer social interaction. And he talked about how there's certain things we do that maybe look legalistic, but it really carries such a good, and I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because of the good that comes out of it. So setting aside time to pray, and I encourage you in the morning, before your day starts, on a day like today, where you automatically lose an hour, to still stop and say, Lord, how could I even present myself in any part of this day without stopping and seeking you first? So with that being said, let's look at an example here in the book of Acts of this concept of prayer and action. Acts chapter 6 says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. These are Greek-speaking Jews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. What's the first thing you see? The first argument in a church. Wow. What do we have going on in Acts chapter 6, verse 1? We have one ministry thinking that their ministry is maybe more important than another ministry. We have another ministry thinking, I'm being neglected and I'm not getting enough attention. We have another ministry saying, well, why aren't you paying attention to me? Things haven't changed in 2,000 years, have they? Every little group thinks that they're so important. When we're really here, we need to stop and realize what's the greater good. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we have a complaint. What's the complaint? These Greek-speaking Jews, widows, were not getting as much food and needs as they were supposed to get. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. This shows me that the church will always have issues that they need to work through. Always. Number two, what else do we see here happening? 
that even though the amount of disciples is growing, verse 1, when the number of the disciples is multiplying, there's still issues. Now remember, Acts chapter 2, just a few chapters earlier, 3,000, 3,000 people just got saved. That's a pretty good-sized church going right there. You have lots of people. This is something we've noticed out here practically. You know, if you jump back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and we started seeing the church start to grow numerically, little things started happening. We had more and more people coming. But you know what had happened when more and more people started coming? Lights started getting left on. Isn't that fascinating? You have more people coming, so you have more people to shut the lights off, but then lights are always being left on. More people were coming, and all of a sudden the list to sign up to clean the church kept shrinking. It's kind of this fascinating little concept. And it's just you sit there and you're almost befuddled by this thing. There's more people to shut lights off and close the doors. There's more people to sign up, but yet less is actually happening. And this was something that was really strange. So I found this book. It's a really fascinating book. And it was called Help My Church is Growing. Interesting title. Now, it's not a church growth book. I want to make sure you know that. It was your church is growing and this is what you're going to notice. And one of the chapters, there's a whole chapter on why don't the lights get turned out at church anymore? And basically what it comes down to is this. There's so many people, you just assume someone else is going to take care of it. If you go into a restaurant and you see a napkin on the floor that you didn't drop, you're just not going to probably worry about it. Why? Because, well, other people are getting paid to do it. There's other people. Somebody else will pick it up. And we've got to get this mindset. And what was happening here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the church is growing. Oh, look at the Greek-speaking Jew widows. They need food. Oh, I'm sure somebody of the other 3,000 people will make sure they take care of it. And what was happening is needs were not being met, even though the number of disciples was growing. So what's the solution? Verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may we appoint over this business. The twelve get together and say, Listen, we're going to raise up some people to help take care of this, and we're not going to worry about it. And look at verse 2. Now, verse 2 comes across a little interesting. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It makes it sound like you're too important. That's not what it's saying in any way whatsoever. There's people called to do different things. Right now, we're able to hopefully meet peaceably and quietly. Why? Because you probably got about 30 people volunteering their time in the back to watch your beautiful, patient, wonderful children. If they were all in here, it would be quite different. We're able to meet right now because someone took the time to write a check to pay for the heat and the electricity, etc., There's so many things that happen behind the scenes that people don't realize and don't know. So there's different ministries. And what the twelve are saying, listen, it's not our ministry to serve the widows. Well, shouldn't everybody care about the widows? So they should care deeply. And they care so deeply, they're making sure they get taken care of through somebody else. It's not that they're better than this. I'm going to make sure that comes across. It's not that they're better than anything, because there is no job that you are too good for. And there's no job that's also above you. If the Holy Spirit's leading you, the Holy Spirit's leading you. But what they're saying is, listen, we're going to make sure these widows are taken care of because what's our focus going to be in verse 4? But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what I want to focus on. These 12 are saying, listen, the concept of prayer for the church is so vital, so vital, that we're going to make sure the widows are taken care of. We're going to make sure the needs of the church are met. But we've got to keep the spiritual wheel turning of prayer. 
And to be honest, in your life and my life, when life gets really busy, what's usually the first thing to go? Prayer. Now, we'll still pray over meals. We'll pray before we leave. We'll have these quick little, Lord, thank you for the day. Be with everything. And hey, don't forget, Mom. Just help her be with that. I'm talking earnest, spirit-led prayer. That's one of the first things that go. Because why? We're so busy. I go back to that Martin Luther quote. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. The 12 were saying, listen, the needs need to be met of the widows. We need to make sure they're taken care of. So you guys do that. But we got to keep this prayer machine going here. Verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. Because you had people serving, you had people praying, you had people doing this. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurius, Nicor, Timon, Primarius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. See prayer again. Now you see prayer before ministry. So therefore you're praying for people. And we're going to pray before they teach a Bible study. We're going to pray before they get sent out to the mission field. We're going to pray before they say, hey, you know what? The Lord's really opened a door over here, and I think I should go serve. Then we want to go pray for you there. You know, we have this bulletin, and I, I don't attend the Monday's Lady Bible Study. I don't attend the two ladies' Bible studies on Friday. But I know when they're happening, and I'll pray for them. Because I want them to be spirit-led. I want them to be used by the Lord. Just like right now, I'm not in the back. But I'm thankful for those people that are back there, and we should pray for them. Verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multitude, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What's the result of doing this? God's word spreads, more disciples are made. Amen. Because you have people doing their jobs the way they're called. That's the way the church is supposed to work. Same thing still happens today. We have people called to do certain things then amen, go do it. We also have people out here that they pray. They pray all day. And when I mean that they pray all day, I mean they pray all day. And I know if I contact them and say, would you pray for this? They will truly stop what they're doing and pray. It's a whole ministry. Reminds me of Anna in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Anna was a widow, the Bible says, much older in age. And she spent her day at the temple fasting and praying. That was her ministry. What a blessing that is. I had somebody to share a testimony with me last week where they talked about how their kids were in high school. And uh, they were battling some health issues. And they weren't as active as they wanted to be as a parent. And that was really starting to bring them down. And they realized, though, but all this time I'm spending laying on my bed, I can pray for my kids. It's a ministry. It's such a ministry. And I'm thankful for these people that have the ministry of prayer. I'm thankful for these people that understand and see the importance of it. What a blessing that is. And what you see here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, you see all of it coming together. Needs being met, people being prayed for, ministries happening, word of God spreading, disciples multiplying. But the foundation of these apostles saying, we've got to keep praying. And what an amazing blessing that is. What else do you see in the book of Acts? You see people praying as individuals. You see people praying through tough times. You see people praying in groups. You see all of this happening. And that's the example that they set for us. Now the question comes, is that what we're willing and wanting to do ourselves? Because it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to understand what prayer really is. Can you go with me to Luke, please? Luke chapter 11. Let's think about some of the things that Jesus said about prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 21 that his house is supposed to be a house of prayer. That's how Jesus wanted it to be identified, as a house of prayer. Think about that for a little bit. Number two, we learn in 1 Thessalonians 5, you don't need to turn there, never stop praying. This is something continually you do. It's a continual mindset of talking and communicating with the Lord. 
So yes, you have your time of devoted prayer in the morning. But you also, throughout the day, when situations or thoughts come up, you give it to them in prayer. And when it comes to my mind, oh, yeah, that, that person asked for prayer. I want to do that. I'm going to pray for them right now. Praying to be a witness. Praying to represent the Lord. Never stop praying. But it's something that in some ways has to be learned. Look here at Luke chapter 11. Now, it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, I want to talk about that verse for a second. I see a couple things there. The disciples see Jesus praying. He was such a man of prayer that they saw it. They saw something different about it. You know, when Dawn and I were getting ready to have our first child now, about 12 years ago, the church threw a baby shower for Dawn. And they, one of the things they did is they had the ladies write down little nuggets of wisdom, etc., little spiritual understandings. And I remember one of them reading them that it still stuck with me now 12 years later, where one of the gals wrote down, Let your children see you do devotions. Let your kids see that it's important to you. Now, I like to do my devotions, and I like quiet. I like having my books out in front of me, and I make sure I have a time to do that. But I also make sure that there's a time where I may be sitting at the kitchen table, I may be in the living room, because I want the boys to see this is something we do, this is how we live, this is how we act. I see Jesus here in Luke 11, verse 1. He was such a man of prayer that the disciples saw that. Saw that. And they saw something was different, and they wanted it. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Listen, I think sometimes we do a disservice in the church. Somebody comes up, they're struggling with something. And they come to me and they say, I'm really bothered about my marriage. I'm really bothered about this job situation. Uh, well, you should pray about it. Well, what does that mean? Just pray about it, okay? Um, Lord, be with my job. Amen. <laughs> okay, I prayed. I still have it. What do I do now? What does it mean to really pray? So Jesus here says, this is an example, verse 2. He also said to him, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He got an example here of what prayer is supposed to look like. Now, one of my favorite little phrases, it's an acronym, you've probably heard this before, it's called the ACTS method. I like it, I think it's simple, you can remember it. The A stands for adoration, that in your time of prayer, you should have a time of adoration, praise to the Lord. C stands for confession, a time of confessing your sins. T, thanksgiving, S, supplication. Supplication is a fancy word where you're giving God your needs. We try to do this. When we're praying at home, if we start out with, like Dawn and I are praying, we try to, I try to start out with just some simple praises. Lord, thank you. Pray, I praise you for your grace. I praise you for your mercy. I just praise you, Lord, for just this, this starry sky, the beautiful sun. Just really getting that mindset of, Lord, I'm praising you for who you are. Next confession. Lord, we're coming to you now. Could have done a better job with the boys today, Lord. I pray for more patience. I confess to you. I'm struggling. Lord, you're giving it over to the Lord. Then T, thanksgiving. Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you for church going well today. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to that person. And then finally, S, supplication. Lord, here's the request that we have that we're giving to you. Now, a lot of times when we pray, we skip A, C, T, and just go right to S. <laughs> Lord, here it is. And Lord, by the way, when I'm giving you my needs, I'm really asking you to be like Santa Claus. Just say yes. I want you just to rubber stamp it. Just go. No, I really want to stop and seek your will on what this is. Think of what it says in 1 John. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you and will answer. That's a pretty good verse. If I ask anything according to his will, he hears me and will say yes. 
So in the name of Jesus, I pray for, and we treat it like a magic lamp. What's that verse really saying? When you ask anything according to his will. So, Lord, I want your will in my life. Take what we just learned now and apply it to the, what we typically call the Lord's Prayer. Look how it starts out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's that? That's adoration. That's praise. Hallowed, a fancy name. Lord, I want to celebrate who you are. What else do we see here coming on? We see supplication. Verse 3, give us this day by day our daily bread. Here's my needs, Lord. I pray that you would meet them. You see confession. You see this idea, forgive us our sins. You see it all right in there. This is the model that he was trying to say. This is what I want you to do. I want you to have a time of praise, a time of confession, a time of thanksgiving, a time of asking for needs, a time of seeking my will. Do you realize this takes time? Go back to Martin Luther. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Because to really stop and say this, It's like, come on, Lord, I set the alarm three minutes early. I mean, Lord, thank you for the day. Be with me. Amen. Yes, great start. But I want us to be people of prayer, like you see in the book of Acts, to set that time aside. It's effort. It's work. Dawn was reading a book on prayer one time, and I can't remember the name of the lady that did it. I like to give credit where credit's due. But she was a prayer warrior. She'd get up every day at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and spend the first few hours in prayer. Now, please note, once again, we're not talking a legalistic have to. We're talking a spirit-led, I want to grow and go deeper. So somebody made a comment to this woman, boy, you, you must be a morning person. That must be easy for you. And the lady said, of course not. No. It's a struggle for me every day. My bed is warm. <laughs> My bed is cozy. I don't want to get up. She goes, but I know the importance of it. The importance of it grandparents and parents, you can affect generations following you through prayer. Prayer accomplishes more than what you could ever imagine. Think about this, this idea of Gethsemane that we learned about in Matthew. Wine press. Wine press. Pressure. Push. Look what Jesus went through. Prayer is a battle. It's a fight. It is physically exhausting sometimes. And I just want to let you know, ladies out here, that there is a very godly woman who is a prayer warrior that has told me that if anybody has a something they want to pray through, she'd be more than willing to meet with them on a regular basis to pray through. Now, when I say pray through, I'm talking pray through. I'm talking where you come before the Lord and you give, you, give him that marriage. You give him that spouse. You give him your kids and your grandkids. And it is a focused time of prayer. And you will see what it really means to go to Gethsemane and pray. And ladies, if that's something that interests you, talk to me afterwards and I'll introduce you to her. But I'm telling you right now, there's a whole level of prayer. Not a legalistic, spiritual, Lord, you owe me. God, I spent hours. No, but just, Lord, I see the importance of praying for generations following me in my marriage and my kids and ministry, you name it. And, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you because this is the best thing I can do. Rich and I were talking a lot recently about the Old Testament prophets. Do you realize how much in the Old Testament they had to come find the prophets? Why? Those prophets were just up spending time with the Lord. How many times in the Gospels was Jesus? Jesus purposely left everybody. He deserted to a deserted place. And they had to come find him. Why? Because Jesus understood the importance of prayer. This idea of getting away and praying. Now, at this point, normally somebody says, I don't know what to say. I, I, don't, I don't even know what it looks like. I hear what you're saying, James. Okay, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I even took notes. I wrote it down. But what does it look like? 
I can only tell you what it looks like for me, and I'm not telling you to do it my way. This is my way that I do it. You take it, leave it, personal opinion. I have to write it down. I, I got three different prayer lists. If somebody comes up to me today and asks for prayer, it gets written down right here. And I will pray through it this week. And when I say that, I mean that. And let me give you a little bit of information on this. One of the first lessons I ever taught 20 years ago was in the book of Samuel, where Samuel said, far be it for me to sin against the Lord by not praying for you. And I realized at that time, prayerlessness is sin. So if I tell somebody, I'm going to pray for you, and I don't do it, I just sinned. I'm not going to do that. So what we do a lot of times as Christians, we throw that little phrase out. I'll pray for you, and then we walk away. So what I do, i got to write it down. So I will go back tonight and tomorrow and this week, and I will look at every single thing that somebody said to me today. Hey, could you keep in prayer? And if the Lord leads, I'll follow up with them. Now, if I don't have something to write down, I'll either say, let's pray right now, or in my mind, I will pray right now, because I will forget. And I don't want to do that. So I got my personal thing that I do, and I follow up throughout the week. Number two, I got a list that we make for the church that Rich and I try to get together weekly. And we just keep writing down things that people pray for. Maybe vision for the church, ministries we're thinking about. Pray for the people that are going to get baptized, the people that got baptized. So we've got this list, and we'll pray through it throughout the week. And it's a list. Now, the list is not legalism. The list is not a have to. The list is a reminder. <laughs> I need to be reminded. And then lastly, what Dawn and I try to do together is we have this prayer list as well. And what we do is this. We pick different things for each day of the week. So Monday, we pray for Elias. Tuesday, we pray for Judah. Kenan, Wednesday, and it kind of goes on. And then every day, we throw something extra in. So one day, maybe Elias and all the marriages out here at church. And we've written down every marriage that's on our heart, and we'll pray for them. Maybe one of it's ministry, one of it's finances. You know, one of it is, Lord, for the next foster kids we get. And we write these down, and we go through, and we pray them together. And we stop and we say, okay. And what we do for each one is we write down a verse. Let me show you this. Can you go with me to Colossians, please? Because sometimes you're sitting there and you're looking at this list. And it's like, I don't even know what to pray for this person. So when we pray for marriages, we pray the Genesis verse of let them be one flesh. When we pray for our next foster kids, we pray the verse in James where it says to love the widows and the orphans. When we pray for our finances, we pray the first Timothy verse of be content in all things. I'll give you an example here. Colossians 1, look at verses 9 through 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. There's our word. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might. Say, stop. This is our verse for Elias. So what we do is we pray this verse for him and we put Elias' name right in. So we'll stop and look at verse 9. And we say, Lord, we want to pray for Elias. That Elias may be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that Elias would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing you. And we just put his name right in it. Think of the double power you have there. You get to go before the Lord, God. And you also get to pray scripture that doesn't return void. It's a wonderful thing. It helps direct us our prayers. Because I don't know about you. I start praying and if I don't have a list. Oh, Lord, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. And I need to pick up those socks. Lord, I love you. Thank you. And pray. I'm hungry. You know what I mean? And your mind just goes all over and wanders. The next thing you know, I'm looking up at the ceiling. And it's just like, was I praying? And you're just so out of it. 
I need focus direct. For me, it's not legalism. For me, it keeps me focused on what I'm doing. If this is that important, I want to do it. It's like if I'm watching a TV show and Don or one of the boys want to talk to me, I either have to mute it or shut it off because I will get distracted. I need my list to keep me focused. And so it's the importance of it. Please remember, please remember this idea of what you get to do in prayer. I think I mentioned this earlier, but it bears repeating. You get to talk to God. Remember what we talked about in Matthew. The veil was torn from top to bottom. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you complete access to the Holy of Holies. You can come to the most holy moment and place that you can imagine and go before God. Hebrews says that you can boldly go before the throne of grace. You get access to go to God anytime you want. And 1 Corinthians tells us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just, just put all this together. I have complete access to the creator of the universe who has unsearchable wisdom, knowledge, and guidance. Why would I not tap into that? Versus me, who's just going to try to decide what to do today on my own based on my 39 years of life experience that I've been a sinner for all those years. Why would I not stop and tap into that? Or a situation that's really struggling me. Why would I not go to the God of comfort, the God of peace, the God of joy, and say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I need you to help me through this. Rather than me, I'm just going to try to survive today. Just another day of my awful, miserable life. No. Understand the power that we have to go. It is work. It is effort. It is Gethsemane. It is sweat. It is blood. It is exhausting. But it's the most powerful, effective thing we can do. And we've lost this. Another reason why we don't pray so much. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm not really eloquent. What are we doing? We're basing our prayers off of what we hear other people. Have you ever done that? Oh, that person, uh, she's, a, she's a good prayer. She prays really good. How does she pray really good? Oh, she just prays really good. She's got good words. What is that based off of? There's a Saturday morning men's study years ago. And we go around sometimes in Saturday studies, not every time, and different people would pray. And there's a guy there that's really not the most publicly talkative, etc. He started out his prayer with just, good morning, God. I have never forgot that. When I start out a prayer publicly, oh, Lord, I thank you and just praise you for your grace, your mercy. For you. I get this long introduction. It's like me going home today and seeing Dawn after church. Oh, Dawn, mighty woman of the Lord, beautiful in grace and mercy. I thank you for the time that we have together. He started out, good morning, God. Just pure, simplistic relationship. Never forgot that. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Situation happened a couple months ago. I still have it on my phone. I've saved it. Called a guy. He was going through a difficult time. And we were playing phone tags. So I called him. Didn't get a hold of him. He called me back. Didn't get a hold of me. He left me a message. And my phone can record up to a three-minute message. So I called and I looked. And I had a three-minute message from him. And I thought, that's really strange. I can't imagine he was leaving me three minutes. He left me about a 15, 20-second message. Hey, Pastor James, got your phone calls. Well, I know I'm doing good. Everything's going well, et cetera. Sorry, I missed your call. Hopefully, we can hook up later, et cetera. End the call. And I realized he forgot to hang up. So it's a little bit of silence, a little bit of static. And I thought, oh, I should probably not listen. And I thought, oh, I really want to listen. So <laughs> he got done with the phone call. And I said, I, still, I, never, I haven't told him yet. He got done with the phone call. And as soon as he got done, he started praying. Now imagine you praying in the privacy of your moment that no one ever hears, but now someone actually hears and you don't know it. 
Think about that for a second. How you really pray when no one else is around. And then imagine it being secretly recorded and your sneaky pastor is now listening (laughs) to it. And still has it saved on his phone. He starts praying. First thing he does is, I thank you for Pastor Rich and Pastor James and what they're doing. Thank you, Lord, for helping me through this time. Next thing you know, he's talking about his neighbors that need to come to know Christ. And he's going through this whole thing, just this heartfelt, sincere, and Lord, you've been helping me through this difficult time. It's been a struggle, but you just, just real prayer. And it's all recorded there. And the perfect example of marriage, then he gets interrupted by his wife at the end. So, but that's a whole other story for another day. But it's right there. And we worry so much about what people are thinking and I'm being eloquent and maybe we're keeping mental track of amens and hallelujahs. No, you're talking to your dad. You're talking to your Abba, your daddy. And you're stopping and realizing, I can't do this on my own because if I could have fixed the job, if I could have fixed the marriage, if I could have fixed the kids, if I could have fixed my health, I have already would have done it. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. And I'm going to pray for my kids, my wife, whatever it is, whatever circle of life you have. And this is my focus. Now, we're kind of running out of time here, so I've got to kind of pick up the pace here a little bit. One other element I want to throw in there with prayer is the idea of prayer and fasting. There's 13 references in the Bible to prayer and fasting being combined together. And real quick, we've taught on fasting before. Fasting is where you let go of a physical desire to focus on the spiritual. So therefore, I don't eat that meal. And that time I would have spent eating that meal, that time I would have spent preparing that meal, I now spend in prayer where I stop and say, Lord, the flesh doesn't matter right now. What matters most is taking this situation to you. You see people in the Bible praying and fasting because they're sorrowful, because they're going through a difficult time, or they have an earnest heartfelt for people. Nehemiah praying and fasting for Israel, Daniel for wisdom. Whatever it is, you stop and you say, Lord, I'm going to let go of the physical and I'm going to focus on the spiritual. It's a beautiful thing. I'll pray and fast maybe if I have a big message coming up. It's like, Lord, I, I really want this to represent you. Or i got a big marriage counseling, I'll stop and pray and fast. But I'm going to focus on the spiritual, not the physical. I highly encourage you to make that part of your walk with the Lord. And you really get that effort of saying, Lord, it's not about me, it's you. Please remember, let me repeat this again. It's not, Lord, you owe me. Lord, I didn't eat lunch today. You owe me. Lord, I I spent 25 minutes this morning. You owe me. No. Lord, I'm doing this because I want to. I want to. And I want the prayer to change. Maybe not the situation, but me. Please know what prayer does, because this is something that happens a lot. People come up and they're going through a difficult time, and they need prayer for something. A job situation, health, marriage, kids, whatever it is. So they ask for prayer. You follow up with them a week later, how's it going? Same. Follow up again, same. Well, prayer's not doing anything, is it? Remember, prayer sometimes does not change the situation. It changes how you view the situation. That's why in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said to pray for your enemies. Oh, I'll pray for him. I'm going to pray that guy gets a new job. I'm going to pray that guy finds a different place to go. No, 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 no. Sometimes that coworker that you're praying to leave stays, and then you start to see him through the eyes of Jesus. See, prayer changes you, maybe not the situation. And there's been times where I've been really frustrated, bothered by a person or a situation, and I'm praying, and I'm praying for them to change. And really what happens is the Lord changes my heart. Because I spend time with Christ and I see the nature of Jesus. And it's like, Lord, I want to love him like you love him. 
So prayer does change things. And that thing that changes may be you. So it's important to understand all this. And here we are getting to be almost 1120 already. So we're kind of running out of time. Like I said at the introduction, prayer in some ways is so simple to talk about. But the concept and the follow-through can be so difficult. What I want to encourage you to do, not legalistically, not because you have to, but is to stop and understand the importance of prayer. The Bible says your prayers are like an incense going up to heaven, the sweet-smelling aroma that the Lord just loves. And I encourage you for those situations that you're really struggling with right now, you're going to make it a time of prayer. That's where you're going to win your battle. Because you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, the Bible says. This is going to be one in prayer. I encourage you to think about that acronym, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Lord, I want a time of praise. I want a time of confession. I want a time of thanks. And I want a time to give you these requests. I really want to set this aside. I'm, you're going to hear me rise early in the morning, Lord. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to give these things over to you. I'm not going to worry about the eloquence or the perfection of the word because I get to go to my dad and I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk. I'm also going to listen. I'm going to listen. So if I say, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to stop and listen. And what are you going to hear? You may hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. A verse may come to your mind, a worship song or something. Or, Lord, I don't know what to do with this situation, so I go on with my day-to-day. I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open for you to give wisdom and guidance. Lord, I care so much about that person. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to mark it down and do it. Because it's important. It's vital. That's what we need to do. And if I don't even know what to pray, I'm not even going to worry about that. If somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, could you pray for me? And I say anything specific, and they just look at me and say... No, or the Lord knows, then the Lord knows. Romans 8.26 tells me, if I do not know what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes for me. So, Lord, I don't know what to pray for that person. The Bible says you can intercede with moans and groans. Have you ever been so worked up over a situation you can't even get the words out? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit and God are fluent in moans and groans? Lord, I I, I can't even, I don't even know what to say. God says, I got it, don't worry. This is another teaching for another day because we're running out of time. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about being able to pray in tongues too. This idea that the Lord has all these different ways to do it. We just need to be willing to give up our time, our precious time. We're going to give up a precious temporary time to impact eternity. Boy, let's become people of prayer just like you see in the book of Acts and become those people that truly stop and say, Lord, I'm giving it to you and all that we say and do. Worship team, if you come forward here. Just want to remind you, Wednesday, Pastor George coming out. I hope you can make it for that. Keep Friday in prayer, some of the outreach to the mosques up there. Just keep those things in prayer. Baptism coming up. If you want to get baptized, see us. Let us know so we can get that marked down. And hey, let's become people of prayer. I'm going to give it over to Marv here for the final song, then we're going to let you go with the word of prayer. Marv, it's all yours.